Welcome to Insights with Sights, the Symphony of Scripture, a weekly podcast exploring the themes and contours of the weekly scripture readings. For more information about the podcast or to download the companion notes, please visit slash podcast We now join our host, the Reverend Dr. Christopher Seitz. The lessons for the second Sunday in Epiphany are drawn from 1 Samuel, Psalm 139, the sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians, and John 1 43 to 51, the calling of Nathaniel. This belongs to the theme of Jesus' earthly ministry. Following his baptism, he called his disciples. Two small things we should note. The New Testament reading from 1 Corinthians introduces a sequential walking through this letter we will encounter in the Sundays to come. It's not been chosen like Acts 19 last week to illuminate the gospel reading in a specific sense. And as for the gospel, it's not from Mark, but from John. Nothing would prevent there being a four-year cycle with each year devoted to one of the four gospels. But instead, we have a three-year cycle, and John is spliced into significant moments in each of the three years, especially in Easter and Lent. This matches well the character of the fourth gospel, which offers a more penetrating commentary on the narrative line we find in the three synoptic gospels. One can think of the beloved disciple as he who remains close to Jesus from first to last, and it's in this posture he sees and reports things he feels need greater attention and more reflection. I want to start then with John and the Old Testament passage chosen to introduce his narrative and then turn to the psalm which has been chosen to illuminate them both. And at the end, I'll have a word to say about the letter, uh, the Paul's letter to the Corinthians. One effect of hearing any two accounts from Scripture when they're set side by side is that the similarities and distinctive features are drawn out through attending to the details of each one. We can see this in the, in the pairing of 1 Samuel 3 with John 1, the calling of Samuel and the calling of Nathanael. In both cases, we have the obvious detail of confusion. Samuel can't tell who's calling him. He keeps getting up and responding to Eli, here I am, for you called me. And Nathanael is not sure how Jesus knew him before having laid eyes on him. But there are also obvious differences. The boy Samuel is obedient. He waits to hear the Lord's own voice once Eli has instructed him and once he knows what's going on. Where Nathanael counters an enthusiastic testimony to Jesus from his friend Philip with the dismissive, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Samuel is everywhere depicted as good and true. It's the elder Eli and his sons who stand under judgment. So too Philip and Andrew are good agents of spreading the good news. Eli is too once he catches on, 
and properly interprets it as a sign of God's ways. And Eli is, of course, a complicated figure in, con in contrast to his wicked sons. In the end, he intuits that the silence of Samuel has to do with him and the judgment of God, and he demands that Samuel not hide the truth from him, but speak plainly. And when the verdict is delivered by the obedient Samuel, he obediently receives it as true. It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Nathaniel's conversion to the truth follows a different, a shorter, and a more ironic path. One place where the stories do seem to converge is over the sovereign timing of God. Jesus identified Nathanael before any human exchange from Philip. I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. And this matches the calling of the Lord to Samuel before he could comprehend what he was experiencing. Samuel did not know the Lord, the narrator tells us. He thought Eli was calling him. And Nathanael thought Philip was calling him, and he mocked the testimony. But it was in reality the Lord Jesus himself who saw him and would enlist him with the other followers, overcoming his doubts. And giving rise to the bold confession of Nathanael, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. The calling of the disciples is one of the main themes of Epiphany Lessons, coming as it does amidst the manifestation of Jesus to the world as teacher, healer, wonder worker. Jesus does what he does in the midst of friends and co-workers who must be trained to understand him and his mission. John handles this theme a bit differently than the other three Gospels. Jesus gradually manifests himself not only to the world, but to those who will work closely with him. And he does it individually, one at a time. First, the unnamed disciple, who along with Andrew stays with Jesus. Then Andrew tells his brother Peter. Then Jesus moves to Galilee and finds and calls Philip in Bethsaida, the city of the brothers Andrew and Peter. Philip finds his fellow Galilean Nathanael and speaks of a conviction that all three now share. We have found him about whom Moses wrote in the Law and the Prophets, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Here's where the irony of Jesus and John converge, for it's the northerner Nathanael who questions the northern hometown of Joseph and Jesus as suitable for the one they are testifying to in such grand terms. The one he himself will shortly call son of God, king of Israel. Philip says only to him, come and see. So Jesus addresses him. And although Nathanael said what he said out of earshot, it's clear Jesus knows what he said. And so he responds in a way that hints at just that. You are an Israelite. You are a Jacob in whom there is no Jacob, no subtlety or craft as one might expect from that ancient trickster. You said your mind. Nathaniel therefore responds, Where did you get to know me? How did you know what I said and who I am? Jesus says he knew him before he uttered a word, before Philip called him, just like the boy Samuel, who did not yet know the Lord.
Now Jesus refers to an otherwise obscure detail. He saw Nathanael when he was under the fig tree. What fig tree and when? Other than sometime prior to Philip's calling. John has told us nothing about this. And so Jesus alone knows the time and the place he refers to. He doesn't infer it, as did Eli with Samuel, but speaks of a very specific place. Here's one of those places where the scriptures open and close at the same time. Many suggestions have been given over the history of interpretation. Perhaps the fig tree is a place notable for studying the scriptures and for prayer, as the rabbis infer. Perhaps Nathanael was reading the law and the prophets there and seeking for the one about whom Moses wrote. Another possibility is that the fig tree is a sign of the coming age of God's reign as foretold by Micah, chapter 4, verse 4, when nations would stream to Zion and swords would become plowshares and everyone would sit, each under his own fine and fig tree. And so the age to come that Nathanael was longing for and awaiting before Philip greeted him. Or perhaps it's simply a place known only to Christ and Nathanael, and so important for that reason, a place that Jesus wants Nathanael to know that he knows, and so that he knows him as he is in the privacy of his own soul and life. And so he can come to us in the same way and does. Nathaniel's response is all in, no deceit or mystery. And Jesus responds even more boldly, there will be a ladder like Jacob's, and our Israelite without guile will see angels ascending and descending on it. Jacob's ladder become now Nathanael's, in the Son of Man standing before him, upon whom the angels will come and go from heaven. After hearing these two stories of the calling of Samuel and of Nathanael, the psalm for the day really comes alive. Lord, you have searched me out and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Yes, even under my fig tree. Indeed, there's not a word upon my lips, but you, O Lord, know it altogether. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's so high I cannot attain it. Your eyes behold my limbs. All of them are written in your book. The psalm doesn't just capture the main themes of today. It doesn't just give us a front row seat on the action it casts us in the main roles alongside David and Samuel and Nathaniel. It gives us voice and participation in the acts of God. We are written in the book. I sometimes wonder if we'd do better on a Sunday like this to read the psalm in unison after the readings and the sermon for the day. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that the epistle reading is part of a continuous reading through the letter, in this case, 1 Corinthians, that we'll resume again next week and the weeks to come. So it wasn't chosen in the same way as Acts 19 last Sunday. 
At the same time, this isn't finally decisive, since all Scripture has a word to speak and to come alongside other readings. Paul is here describing the place of fornication and the damage it inflicts. We may believe it is a secret place, but this is exactly why it is destructive and why Paul sternly cautions. Our bodies are temples of God's Spirit. Our bodies, he says, are not our own, but are seen and known because created by God for God. Our life under the fig tree is a life under God and His Word seen by Him from afar, lovingly knowing us better than we do ourselves, whether Samuel or Nathaniel or the psalmist or you and me. We hope you enjoyed Insights with Sights, the symphony of Scripture. For archived episodes and notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca slash podcast. Thank you, and we hope you tune in again. This podcast is a ministry of Wycliffe College at the University of Toronto.